0: Welcome back to the Grand Valley Community Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you to meet Jesus and grow in faith. Emmanuel is a name. It's a name that means God with us. And it's one of the names that Scripture used to talk about Jesus, to talk about this promised Messiah that one day would come and change everything. This song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it's a song of expectation. And even the song we sung before that, Lord, I need you, it's a song of expecting and needing God to show up in our lives. Christmas is a season where we're looking forwards to Christmas Eve. We're looking forwards to this moment where we celebrate that Jesus came it's a season of expectation of looking forward, and we can talk about expectation in some different ways, because when you think of expectation, maybe for you, this word, actually you go, ugh, I don't, there's too many expectations on me, there's too many expectations that we face. Sometimes these expectations are things we place on ourselves, or sometimes they're things people place on others, and Christmas This season can become about expectations that aren't even have anything to do with faith about Jesus, with about what God was doing. But sometimes our expectations just turn into stress. I mean, sometimes we put the expectation on us, man. We just have to throw the best Christmas party we have, we've ever had. We have to have the best family gathering we've ever had. Or maybe if you're on Pinterest, you're like, man, my decorations just have to be on point. They have to be perfect. And if you don't know what Pinterest is, I I think you're better off not knowing. There's tons of amazing, you know, decor ideas and all that thing. But you start looking at this and you start comparing yourself. But how can what I do live up to the expectations that that creates? And we can get stressed about this. And sometimes we think, you know, I've I've got this expectation on myself. You know, I'm going to hold back from all the delicious food. You know, I have this expectation, I'm going to try to be healthy this Christmas, but let's be honest, we all cash checks in December that we say, you know, January me can deal with that. <laughs> you know, that's New Year's resolution time. Right now, I'm just going to have that eighth Nanaimo bar or whatever it is that you like. Um, but somewhere in all of this expectation and business and everything that gets thrown into Christmas Eve, we realize we're supposed to somehow... Focus on Advent. We're supposed to somehow find love. We're supposed to somehow find joy, to find peace, and to find hope. And what we want to do this December and leading up to Christmas Eve is we want to give you an option. We want to give you a way of making Christmas better, a way of focusing on what can actually matter the most to us. Because we actually have the ability to decide what we're going to focus on this Christmas. And We can sometimes think if we don't make a decision, we don't choose what we want to focus on, guess what? Everyone else and everything around you is going to make that decision for you and is going to fill up your time. You know, we'll get busy with our to-do list, trying to get things done. But what I want to invite you to do is each Sunday is for us to take a, a step back from that and say what matters most. And so this is our focus leading up to Christmas. We want to talk about what actually matters the most out of this season. Uh, And we want to talk openly and honestly about some of the pressures and things that we face um, during this season. Because, you know, we already know the Christmas story. We know that 2,000 years ago, God put on flesh that he came into the world and he changed and he shaped everything. That God shifted what we were supposed to be focusing on. That he changed everything in human history. And so there's this line that I want to share with you. See, if God can shape human history with one event of just stepping into the story, he can shape our experience of Christmas too. If God can shape everything in history that changed because Jesus came, he can change how we experience Christmas too. And so I want to invite you to uh, pull out your phone, uh, and if you've got the YouVersion Bible app installed, um, pull it up and look for it, or if not, go to the app store, download it quickly. It's, it's a small little app to get. But I want to invite you to go to the events tab and search for Grand Valley or search by location and join in on that. And you can follow along and I'm going to have some questions to ask. And it's also a way that you can kind of save this as a note to come back to later. So today we're talking about faith. How can God shape our understanding of faith? and and we're also going to focus a little more on how does our faith actually grow because one of the things about our faith is our, is our faith can grow through three main ways. Our faith grows sometimes through knowledge, through learning more about who God is, about what he's done. You know, reading in scripture that reveals God's character and his heart and his plan for us. We can learn and our faith can grow sometimes through learning more about God. And sometimes it happens through conversations with others, through learning what other people are learning, through learning and sharing experiences of what they've encountered, what they're you know, going through or dealing with and seeing how God showed up for others. Because sometimes we can't see it in our own lives, the times when God shows up. But somehow it's so much easier to see it in someone else's life. And third, sometimes our faith grows through experience through prayer, through serving, through a circumstance or an event, or something that we go through that actually opens our eyes to this fact that God desires a deeper relationship with us and is constantly trying to draw us closer. Now, we're talking about faith today, and and as a first kind of ground rule thing, I do not want anything in this to feel like a guilt trip. I'm not trying to make anything a guilt trip. I'm not trying to make you feel like, oh man, I've got to do more. That's the exact opposite. But here's the thing. If as we're talking about this or as we're reading through scripture and something kind of grabs you, it almost feels like a little you know, a little tug at you or a tap on the shoulder. Maybe, just maybe, that's actually God trying to say, hey, this is the part for you. This is the one step that you could start taking. This is where I want to meet with you. Just maybe, that's what God's doing here. And so I want to ask this first question, and it's a first question that's really just for you to reflect. Uh, and it's a little different; it's actually a multiple choice one on the U version event, if you pull it up. But I want to ask this: How would you describe your faith? And this is totally anonymous. Uh, I don't get a, any notification of who posts it. But how would you describe your faith when you think about your walk with God? How do you describe it? And I threw some options in there. You can type in your own as well. But how? would you describe your faith? Because we've got to know where we start in order to move forward. And just feel free to mull that over as we carry on. So we're going to talk today uh, about a story of Jesus. And in Scripture, there's four uh, four accounts of Jesus's life. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what's interesting about them is Matthew and John, the first and the last one in the order they're put in there, Those guys were disciples of Jesus. They're eyewitness accounts that later on in their life, they sat down and they started writing out everything that they could remember. Now, they couldn't fit everything, but they tried to focus on what they figured was most important for the early church and for other followers of Jesus to understand. And the other two gospels, uh, Mark and Luke, they were compilations that were written and gathered and pulled together from other people's first-hand accounts. So Mark, for example, he was a traveling companion of Peter. You see him following along with Peter all through the book of Acts. And so really, the the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Peter, uh, Peter as written down by Mark. It was Peter's first-hand account being given to Mark, and Mark wrote it out to save it. And then Luke was a little different. He was someone, he was a doctor, he was a physician, a trained uh, medical doctor as far as, well, as far as medical technology went, first century anyways. Um, But Luke got commissioned to basically write these two history books, to write what's the story of Jesus, and what's the story of the early church? And that's Luke and Acts. They really should be next to each other in our Bible because they're meant as part one and part two of what Luke did. He traveled around, and he met as many eyewitness people who experienced Jesus, and he wrote down their stories. And so these four Gospels, each of them have kind of, they're written from different perspectives, trying to give us this fuller picture of who Jesus is. And some of the biggest events... Get recorded in all four, and then each of them had to pick and choose which, which events am I going to put in because this thing can't be ginormous. And so today we're going to focus on just one story found in the Gospel of Mark. And it's a story that actually Mark's the only one that writes down, but there's similar stories all through the rest of the Gospels. And so I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible with you or pull up the YouVersion app, head to Mark 9 14. That's where we're going to start. So Jesus had his 12 disciples. And out of the 12, there was three that he spent extra time with, three that he often pulled aside and spent extra time building into them. Those three were were Peter, James, and John. And right before this Mark 9, Jesus did one of these little retreats with just the four of them. So he took Peter, James, and John, went up a mountainside, and what happened there was God met them in a powerful way. It's this moment we call it the transfiguration and it's kind of this moment where these three disciples finally get it that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God in human flesh. We call him the son of God because he is the most like God there ever is. And they finally get it. This is this, is this major revelation. And this is like even after they've spent probably around two, maybe even two and a half years with Jesus. And they finally get it. And so they come down from this mountaintop experience and they find they join in with the rest of the disciples who as good disciples do have gotten into an argument (laughs) so one of the men in this crowd that's surrounding the other disciples spoke up and says teacher he's speaking to jesus teacher i brought my son to you so you could heal him he's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk and whenever this spirit seizes him it throws him violently to the ground then he foams at the mouth grinds his teeth and becomes rigid so I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now, I'm going to make a guess that right now you're thinking maybe one of two things. Either this can't be real, or this just got really interesting. Now, I don't know where your stance and what you think of when we come across all these passages that talk about evil spirits. But what I do want to say is the evil spirit isn't even the central character in this, in this passage it's actually not even a character. It's just a thing to be dealt with. But as a baseline, and Jesus encounters this time and time again, there is a spiritual realm. There's more to this world than we can see. And what Jesus is, trying to, is going to get to here is Jesus is going to demonstrate that he has power and authority over not just the physical world, not just the spiritual realm, but both. This is about Jesus demonstrating who he is. So let's carry on. So verse uh, 19. Jesus said to them, uh, and them here, he's talking more about his disciples in the crowd, you faithless people, how long must I put up with you? How long must I put up, be with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus is frustrated with his disciples in this moment. Come on, how come you haven't got this? Because he sent them out, and they've been casting out and healing people and delivering people from what's afflicting them, from evil spirits leading up to this point, but now suddenly the disciples just can't. What's going on? Well, as usual, when something like this happens, God has a purpose in it. Jesus has something he wants to teach, something he wants to show us through this event. So they brought the boy to Jesus. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. He fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. This is a drastic situation. So what happens? Jesus says, how long has this been happening? Since since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into a fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Now, this is the plea of a desperate father who sees his son who he loves dealing with this affliction that he can't understand. He knows it's something bigger, something more. He's probably spent all his money on doctors and they haven't been able to do anything. We don't know how far they've traveled, but this isn't you know, time where they can hop in a car. This is they walked. They walked through arid country to come to wherever Jesus was. Out of this, and he says, Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Jesus replies to him, What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And the Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now, this verse is, is the core of this passage. I do believe, but help me overcome my belief. See, part of him believes, part of him knows that Jesus has this ability, that there's something bigger about him, there's something special. Maybe he hasn't come to understand and grapple with this, that Jesus is the Messiah, this promised one that all the Old Testament points towards. But at the same time, part of him doesn't. Help me overcome my unbelief. This this father is recognizing That there's something in this. There's this piece of unbelief. There's this piece of holding back. Now I want to ask a question: Is this accurate for us too? Do we say things like this to God sometimes? Like maybe, maybe you've come to the point of accepting who that Jesus is, who He says He is, that God is who He says He is, that He came to be our Lord and Savior and draw us into a deeper relationship, a fulfilling life with Him, and He wants to be involved in our lives. That's often a common theme in a lot of the songs that we sing here because it's so important and it's so true that God desires a deep relationship with us. But sometimes we do this where we say, you can have everything except this. And you know, I've done this. You know, in my, in my, in, in my teen years and earlier, before I, came, before I realized uh, what my faith really meant to me, and, and that God was calling me to ministry. I often had this thought, you know, God, I give you Sundays. You let me have Monday to Saturday. I give you Sundays. I'm there early. I'm there serving. I'm, you know, helping out in kids zone. I'm in the band. I'm working at the back. Like, I'm spending my Sundays working for you. So leave me alone the rest of the week. And that was my thought process. I, I'm, I'm a little ashamed to admit it, but that's where I was at. Sometimes maybe we say this in terms of, you know, God. You can have part of my income, but don't talk to me about what I do with the rest of it. Or maybe you can have this part of my life. You can have how I make decisions in this realm, but not this realm. See, if we're honest, we all often have some little part of us that we want to hold back from God. That's what this this man's coming to Jesus with. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. See, it's human nature to want to hold back something from God. It's it's a result of what's happened in the world. It's a result of the fact that God started with this beautiful plan and then it all got messed up. And everything since then has been God trying to set things right and restore us back into a relationship with him. So don't don't beat ourselves up over this, but we need to recognize it. So what happens? When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter into him again. Jesus speaks to this spirit. We're going to find out in a moment. You can probably guess what's going to happen because we, you know, we know enough about Jesus to know this, that this spirit's going to go away. The boy is going to be healed. But I want to recognize something about that father's statement. I do believe, but help me overcome my belief. Are we desperate enough to want God to change our lives? See, how about about this, for an example? How many of you have been, you know, had, had an experience with someone? Maybe it was a boss, it was a friend, maybe your spouse where they told you, you know, you just got to do this. You know, to whatever the problem was, they said, here's what you got to do. Here's the solution. And you went, nah, I got this. And you took a different route. And it failed. Didn't work out. And then finally you come around and you realize that that piece of advice that someone gave to you was actually right. Right. You know, how, how do you feel when that happens? You kind of go, oh, man, should have listened the first time. Yeah, yeah, I should have got that. But here's what's different. Now, imagine that whoever gave you that piece of advice didn't give you that advice. But one day, you know, you're sitting, you're mulling over that problem, and the idea comes to you. Hey, I should do this. Which one do you follow through on? When it's our idea or when it's advice from someone else? Which one are we more likely to follow who thinks you're more likely to follow the advice of someone else? Who thinks you're more likely to follow your own idea? It's, it's true. That's, that's how we are wired. That's how our brains work. We don't like being told what to do. If you like being told what to do, maybe you're military. Um, I'll make that joke. <laughs> Anyways, but when it comes to life change... We often know, or maybe we've been given advice, but we don't want to change until it's really our idea. We don't really want to change or do something different until it's something that we desire for ourselves. A lot of you know that I I was uh, taking a class a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I'm at this early stage of starting into a degree. I'm kind of scared about this whole thing. I don't really want to go back to school, but I know that it'd be so amazing and wonderful to do it. But I did this class that was all about planning and and leading and strategic thinking, how do you actually, when you have an idea of where you want to go, whether that's in life, whether that's as a family, whether that's your career, uh, or even us as a church, when we have this idea of where do we want to go, how do you actually get there? Because oftentimes we have this idea of, you know, this, this picture of where we want to be, but we don't know the steps to get there. You know, this, this man who came to Jesus, he knew where he wanted to be. He wanted to believe. But he knew that the only way to get there was to overcome his unbelief. And that's what he asked Jesus for. Help me overcome my unbelief. And so in this class that I took, there was a statement that the prof made. And he kind of just made it a little off the cuff. And everyone in the class was like, whoa, stop. Go back to that. Talk more about that. And the Prophet had this thing to say. He said, we only change if we learn enough or we hurt enough. We only change if we learn enough or we hurt enough. If you think about your own life for a second, you might realize, yeah, that makes sense. We only make changes to our lives when we understand that making this change will actually propel us forward. Or sometimes when the pain of not changing becomes too great, we're forced to do something about it. You know, that second one, that's where this man was. The pain of watching his son suffer was so much, he was willing to change, he was willing to do anything so that his son could be healthy and whole again. And so he comes to Jesus and he makes a statement, help me overcome my unbelief. So I want to ask a question. What helps you desire growth in your walk with God? What helps you to desire more? What helps you to want to say, I want to overcome this part of me that's still holding back. I want to step forward deep in my faith. What actually helps you to desire that? What makes you want to even take that step? So what happens next? Well, we know that Jesus rebuked the evil spirit. He spoke out against it. Here's what happens. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and then left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Jesus stepped in. Jesus stepped in and demonstrated that he has power over whatever it is that afflicts us, whatever it is we're dealing with. No matter what the source is, no matter what the cause is, Jesus is demonstrating here. And I mean, we could, we could spend a couple hours or even more going through each time in Scripture where the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, demonstrate and put this in writing that Jesus had power over what the people were facing. That's a common theme all through Scripture. Scripture. Jesus took him to the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. And later on, and actually this is the end of the story. The next verse says, later on when the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we do that? How come only you could heal that when we couldn't? Because the disciples had been healing people. The disciples had been casting out spirits. They had been doing all this. And Jesus' only response was this. He said, this kind requires prayer. I'm like, I read it and I'm like, okay, what's next? This kind of requires prayer. That's all it left it at. I'm like, come on, Jesus, give us more. But that's what is there. So where does this leave us? And I want to ask this question. Do we desire change in our lives? Do we desire to grow our faith? Do we desire more of who God is? And so I want to talk about this. How does our faith actually grow because that man that father his faith grew a huge amount First-hand witnessing his son's life being completely transformed and changed and so how does our faith actually grow and this is something we can choose to focus on through the season instead of focusing on all the things that distract us and want to pull all our our attention in hundreds of different ways and so there's a first step if we want to overcome unbelief if we want to grow deeper in our faith there's a point where we have to start and say, I need to learn more about who God is. I need to learn more about who God says he is. And you know what? Guess what? God left his word for us. He left scripture for us and reveals himself through it. And God also reveals himself in tons of other different ways constantly. And so learning doesn't, isn't limited to just the Bible, but the Bible is an amazing place to start If you've, you know, never read your Bible regularly and you're thinking, maybe I should start, you know, go to like Luke or John. Go to one of the Gospels. Start there. It's an easy place to start to learn about who Jesus is. But on top of that, you know, there's podcasts, there's books, there's all kinds of ways, however you like to learn. I want to encourage you to learn, to learn more about who God is, who he says he is. Secondly, I want to encourage you to be in community with each other. It's easy whenever life gets busier to say, okay, what am I going to cut out? And if you're in a small group, I hope you never think, well, I'm going to cut out my small group because that's one night a week. Or maybe if you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you to maybe think about joining one. Um, Check out our website or talk to us at the office if you're interested. Because small groups, being in a community, even this, gathering together, being part of a community where we get to chat with one another, where where we get to share what's going on in each other's lives. God never designed us to follow him alone. He means for us to follow him together and so be in community with each other. That's how our faith can grow as we hear stories about what God is doing in each other's lives. And thirdly, our faith needs to have an experiential part. Because faith can only be up here. And you know, I'll be honest, for a lot of years of my life, my faith was only intellectual. My faith was, I knew this about God. And that's what I relied on. And it took a couple years, actually, for that to start changing, for me to understand that my faith was about experiencing God, of experiencing a relationship with Him. You know, we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, God with us. Are we desiring to be with God on a daily basis? There's an easy way that's accessible, every one of us. Pray. Start just by talking to God, sharing what's going on in your lives. And then that experiencing our faith can take all kinds of different forms, too many for me to get into right now. But we can experience in God through being with others, through serving each other, through all kinds of ways. I want to encourage you to say, you know, where am I experiencing God lately? And so let me ask one last question and we'll flip over to, uh, to the U version event and we'll talk about some things together. But what decision do you need to make to grow your faith? What's the first step? I'm not asking you to have your whole life mapped out because none of us have our whole lives mapped out. We have that idea of maybe where we want to go, but we rarely know all the steps. So what's just the first step? What's just one thing you can take? And so in here, um, I'm going to jump to the second question. What helps you desire growth in your walk with God? And I'm just going to read out a couple of the responses. There's a lot here. I'm not going to get to all of them. But something that helps you desire growth, someone said, knowing his peace and relief from anxiety. You know, an example, when someone shares their relationship with God and experiences that show God's love and make me want more. Uh, Here's a key one, remembering the things that God has already done for us. We can have really short memories, can't we? And forget the things and the times when God showed up in our lives in some huge ways. Um, And here's, here's another motivation that I think is interesting. I want my kids to have a real relationship with God. And I know this process starts with me having an authentic relationship with God. This is often what propels me forward. Yeah, when we want to build into the lives of the people around us, especially those of us who are parents, when we want to build into our kids, we can't lead our kids where we've never gone ourselves. We can't lead each other. I can't lead someone else to a place I've never been before. And so when we invest in our personal walk with God, when we invest in our own faith, it's equipping us to invest in the faith of others. Thanks for bringing that up, whoever typed that in. Thanks for doing that. And this third question here, what decision do you need to make to grow your faith? Um, A decision to adjust priorities and stick with it? Leaning more on God and being less of an independent rebel? I think that resonates with more than a few of us. Um, Introduce intentional faith-related moments in more of my relationships. Talking about your faith. You know, sharing what's going on and becoming more intentional in spending time with prayer. And so for these last two questions that we're kind of focused on, what helps you desire growth in your walk with God? And what decision do you want to make? Is there anything more that someone wants to add or or respond to or, or something that's been, maybe you've been feeling God kind of tugging at you about as we've been talking about this together? Is there anything that maybe God's been laying on your heart you want to share? you don't, that's fine. But thank you for everyone who responds. Oh. I think one of the key things for me is that I remember to thank God for what he's done. Yeah. Yeah, a key thing, remembering to thank God for what He's already done. You know, coming back to that piece of, of gratitude and thankfulness. Because, like we said, it's so easy to forget what God's done. You know, I've been, one of the things I've been trying to do uh, is most nights when I'm putting Olivia to bed, remember and say, okay, Olivia, what are you thankful for today? Usually it's, you know, bunny, pillow, you know. Sometimes she says, you know, mom and dad, that's when I kind of go, oh kids are sweet, you know, forget all those, you know, the last eight hours. But in that way, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to teach her to start with thankfulness. I don't know if I'm making progress. I mean, most of us as parents, we don't know if what we're doing is, is, is helping our kids or not. And we'll only know 20 years from now. And it's kind of like this making decisions blind. But here's the thing. If you at least have that picture of the future, whether you're talking about it's for your kids, whether it's for your, you know, for your spouse, whether it's for yourselves, of saying, what's this picture of where I want my relationship with God to be? You know, do we desire and want our walk with God to be deeper? And so today we're going to do something together that we do uh, you know, once in a while or fairly often around here. We come to communion Communion is is one of the, the things, we call it an ordinance, something that God ordered for us to do. And it was when Jesus was coming up to, when he knew he would be arrested, his last supper, his last meal he had together with his disciples, he packed tons of information and he was trying to teach and equip and prepare his disciples to be ready for his death. And what he did was he took bread and he took wine while they were having this Passover meal. And he told his disciples that this is my body and this is my blood and it's going to be poured out as a sacrifice for you and what he was inviting the disciples into was even before this is about to happen before jesus is about to give himself up to be able to restore us into a relationship with god He's preparing his disciples, and he, te- he tells them this line. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this so that we are thankful. Do this so we remember what God did to draw us close to him. And so that's what we do when we take communion here. We come up, we take some of the elements, uh, bread and juice. Uh, the bread on the silver platters is gluten-free if you need that. And we come up and we take the elements as a way of remembering what God has done. As a way of being thankful but I want, to, I want to put a little twist and a little spin on it right now. I want you to think about this last question. What decision do you need to make to grow your faith? And as we take communion, just think about this. What step do I have to take? Um, we're going to put this up on the screen. Which one of these, you know, maybe these three things, or this list could be longer. Maybe there's something else that should be on it for you. Which one am I going to choose to focus on? So I want to invite you to come up um pour the juice for someone else take a piece of bread and then just step to the side and take a moment in prayer you know either with someone you're with or you can do it on your own however you want to or however you need to uh, in order to remember and focus on this so i want to invite you to come up we're going to take communion and then drew's going to lead us in another song after so this week as we go from here i want to encourage you to ask that question god what's the first step i need to take where are you trying to draw me deeper Where do I need to take that step forward to overcome the unbelief? And I hope that 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 Father's cry, that Father's plea, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I pray that that would become our prayer and our cry as well. So as we go from this place, let me just pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you desire such a deep relationship with us, that you want us to be close to you. And Father, just as this song we've sung, may you give us the faith to trust you. May you give us the faith to follow you. May you give us the faith to serve you. That this season would not be filled with just everything being decided for us, but that we could decide to focus on you as we come to this time when we celebrate your birth. So Father, draw us near to you as we know you are constantly trying to draw near to us. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great week, folks. See you next Sunday. We hope this message helps you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information about us, visit gvccbrandon.ca.